I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And, and we're, we're the, the Trade, Trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. Hi, listeners. We had a lot to talk about in our discussion with Business Roundtable CEO and President Josh Bolton. So we divided the episode into two parts. In part one, we talked about the USMCA, the politics of trade, and more. In part two, we'll discuss the U.S.-China trade talks and the future of the U.S.-China trade relationship. So without further ado, here's part two of our discussion with the Business Roundtable's Josh Bolton, all right here on this episode of The Trade Guys. All right, we have to talk about China because as we speak, today was supposed to be the concluding day of two days of negotiations in China, but they've extended it at least through Wednesday. Um, What's going on in China and what do we think is going to happen with the U.S. and China as we continue to make a projection, Josh? What's going to happen? I won't make a projection. It's hard, um, it's hard to make a projection. Hard to yeah. make a projection. Yeah. Here, here, let me begin by saying this, which is that I uh, I mentioned that there are areas where the CEOs of the Business Roundtable have found themselves in agreement with the administration, and they have found themselves in agreement with the Trump administration on most of the objectives of the very aggressive posture that the administration has taken with respect to China. That's an evolution. Exactly what we've been saying, by the way. That's right. And that is an, uh, as both of you also know, that is an evolution of the business community's position. The roundtable doesn't speak for the whole business community, but but I think there has been an evolution throughout the, uh, the business community on this. And that is that, uh, the the posture of waiting for democratic market oriented capitalism gravity to have its effect on the chinese uh, has proven not to be a uh, a viable approach yes reform has stalled out it's not it doesn't appear to be any hope of it restarting. Correct. So that's driving a lot Correct. of without, experience. Without some, without some external, external force. pressure. Right. And so the business roundtable has been supportive of most of the objectives of the administration in its um, aggressive posture with the Chinese. And that includes uh, pressuring them to, uh, to stop outright intellectual property theft, to greatly diminish the forced technology transfer that is embedded in a lot of the um, the Chinese economic system, and the element of policy that is most closely related to that is the Chinese practices with respect to restricting um, the level of foreign investment that's permitted. Mm-hmm. Because once they permit more foreign investment, the um, the majority Chinese owner uh, or the formerly majority Chinese owner will not be in a position to force technology transfer on otherwise uh, reluctant U.S. companies, um, and also to uh, to put much starker limits on. Um, heavy Chinese subsidies to uh, national favorites in targeted industries. All of those things are now 
very important on the agenda of U.S. multinationals. And we've been strongly supportive of the administration putting those on the table. Now, we've disagreed with a lot of the tactics. From our perspective, the approach that the administration has taken over the course of the last year has been shoot first and ask questions later. And we believe that that has not been a productive way to deal with the Chinese. But they are at least now finally at the table having some uh, substantive conversation um, about actual reforms in the Chinese system. Our hope is that the administration is serious about it, that, they, that the objective actually is these reforms in the Chinese system. Um, the fear is that what, uh, what some members of the administration really like is the confrontation, and therefore uh, keeping that confrontation going is the enemy of some constructive outcome here. So that's why I said at the outset, trade guys, that I don't, uh, I don't want to predict how this goes, um, but there is a constructive path and a constructive outcome from this. If the administration handles the negotiation in a sensible way, and if the Chinese are willing to make some much more substantial reforms than they have uh, over the course of the last decade demonstrated any willingness to do. Yeah, well, they won't be. And I think the dilemma that we have is that we've ended up in the same place. The diagnosis is correct. The prescription is flawed. I think what's concerned me about it is that what we are asking them to do, which is the right thing for them to do from many different points of, uh, points of view, including simply good economic policy. What we're asking China to do. What mean. we're asking China to do. Uh, at the same time, will have the effect of uh, decreasing the party's control over the, over the country. Uh, and that's the last thing they're going to agree to. They can do something on IP theft. I mean, they promised Obama twice they wouldn't do it anymore. So they certainly can promise Trump, you know, at least once that they won't do it anymore. They can do something on some of this other stuff. But if you look at, you know, the, their economic goals, which are reflected in Made in China 2025, you know, what are they saying? They're saying is in these sectors, which include a lot of your members, we are going to create uh, global champions. And they're going to compete against the rest of you. And if we do it right, they're going to put you all out of business. Um, I mean, that's fine to aspire. I mean, the countries get to do that. Uh, I think the policy question that frustrates me is that, you know, what are we doing to get ready for the inevitable competition? I think you know, your members are conflicted because, you know, they're making decent money in China, a lot of them. Uh, but they're also at the mercy of the Chinese government in ways that you've heard many stories about. And uh, to me, the real battleground, you know, we're never going to win in China. The battleground is third countries, you know, where we're going we're to take them on in all these sectors in a level playing field. So what are we doing in India? What are we doing in Europe? What are we doing in Latin America? What are we doing in Africa? What I think we alluded and, to. And therein, Bill, lies the tragedy of the rejection of the Trans-Pacific Yes, exactly. Exactly. I was just brilliant. Yes, uh, you know, uh, I was coming right. to that. <clears throat> Had somebody in the administration been playing chess instead of checkers, uh, they wouldn't have That's what it was it about. Right. It was creating Precisely. a whole area with a rules-based system into which the Chinese would have to conform ultimately if they wanted to to play in that space. And if they and didn't TTIP want TTIP was the same thing. If they didn't want to play in the space, there would be a much easier path toward decoupling. 
uh, the, the U.S. and Chinese economy. So uh, it's you know water over the bridge at this point. But look, I, well, I not yet, not yet. Yeah, that 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 water has gone over the dam or under the bridge or whatever. Uh, but uh, there uh, there will be opportunities, I believe, uh, in a in a sane trade policy future to reconstruct the, uh, the the dynamic yes. of the TPP. And Second chances. It just needs a better a better selling approach. Well, because they're all together right now without us, so right. us to join and rework it. Just, it just entered into force with respect to the other 11. Now, right. Are you guys right. conveying that philosophy and that point of view to the administration? Sorry, yes. The big picture? Yes, we have. We have, and directly to the president, and, uh, and he's listened. Well, and he still has public support for what's going on in China. So if this is an evolution of the China policy, he may be able to make it work. You know, don't really know. I mean, I think your assessment of where your members are is, I think there you really can speak for the whole business community. I mean, all the people yeah. that we've talked to are pretty much in the same place on that. It's a serious problem, and the administration has identified the problem clearly and correctly and has made a compelling case that it is a serious problem, both from a national security perspective and from an economic perspective. How you deal with it is, is uh, different. The other thing that we've recommended here is uh, something that, that uh, you'll, re- you'll know very well from your service in the Bush administration is build coalitions. You know, and the, the president is a unilateralist, and the Chinese are much, they respond much better to everybody telling them the same thing. Well, and that's something that we in the business community, not just the BRT, but uh, the whole U.S. business community can do, is build coalitions with our counterparts in Europe and Japan uh, and elsewhere, because uh, in the in the long game bill that you were talking about, all of our interests yes, are exactly. actually are, are actually consistent with each other in confronting. The uh, the threat that the that a hege- economically hegemonic China poses for the entire and how is world. That, how is that going? Particularly in, in Europe, I've offended most of my European colleagues by telling them that they're five years behind us on understanding the Chinese, but. Maybe now it's only two years behind. I don't want to characterize how, how many years behind my colleagues in, in other countries are. We're, uh, I, think, I think we, the, the is conversation- Is the message resonating? I the guess the message is resonating. And I think when, when I talk to counterparts uh, in Europe and in Japan, there's a, there's a fair amount of understanding. Now, really, outside the United States, nobody has the tradition of aggressive business community advocacy that, that we have here in the United States. So we're, we're dealing in a, in a somewhat different environment. But I think everybody that I've talked to so far uh, has some appreciation of the picture that you just so yeah. eloquently painted. Well, actually, that's good, that's good news. I was at a conference in, in Europe last month, and the topic was, what do we do about China? And there were no Chinese invited. It was all Europeans, Japanese, Koreans, Australians, and a handful of Americans. And it was clear that um, they're coming round, I think. One difference, though, was the Europeans are clearly inside the WTO box. Anything that we do has to be via the WTO process and consistent with our WTO obligations. Uh, I don't have the sense that the Trump administration has locked itself inside that particular box. Not that they've, they've, I mean, they've, they've set the corner I'm trying on to be fire. polite. <laughs> <laughs> but why start now? I mean, <laughs> I mean when, when you talk with Europeans, I mean, I, I just imagine how this kind of, if the administration does decide that a coalition is a good idea, 
And I think they're beginning to get it with respect to China, partly because everybody, beginning with you guys, have told them the same thing. Um, the first half of the conversation with the EU was easy. They said, well, that's really important. We all ought to work together. It's a common problem, and so on and so on. And then the second question is, well, what are we going to do about it? And I think they are in a very different place in terms of what tools they're willing to use compared to what tools we're willing to use. So I'm gloomy about the prospects, even though everybody's heart may be in, in a good place. What do you think? Look, I, I think it's an important conversation. I hope it starts at some point. And it, Josh is exactly right about the advocacy capabilities. Uh, and so the, the business community in, in Europe and Japan has, does not have the traditions. Uh, you know, we have lobbyists protected by the First Amendment here, and, and that makes a difference, and it makes a difference in the way our, 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 our policy work and our politics works. So uh, the US, U.S. companies tend to have to take the lead there, but I think uh, have a, presenting a common, uh, a common set of, 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 uh, of indictments against China, but more importantly, having a common set of objectives that the, re the rest of uh, the business world works toward, I think would be a very uh, uh, positive outcome to the tensions we're facing yeah, now. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about it, yeah. uh, Bill and, and Scott, um, but uh, something we say persistently to the administration is um, that that optimism is is reduced every time you, the Trump administration, do something to undermine and offend uh, the folks who should be our best friends and allies in the confrontation with China, which really is the trade game here. With there's, you know, the, treating Canada and Mexico as though they're they are national security, their steel industries are national security threats to the United States. Um, isn't just idiotic, it's offensive to them, and it makes it very difficult yeah. for us to find ourselves in alignment with them on the yeah. issues that are really important. And, and it that, makes what that the Trump the administration message. actually wants to do even harder. Absolutely, so. and that's the message we try to, do, to deliver to them on every occasion we have. I'm glad you're saying that. For, for me, number the fundamental problem is it's bad manners, and I just get very upset, but it's also self-defeating the reasons you said. It drives it. It makes it more difficult. I think the president may be one of these people that I run into from time to time who completely compartmentalizes these things, kind of thinks, I can insult you today about something, but then I can come back to you tomorrow and ask you to help me out on something else on the theory that you won't remember what I said yesterday. And most people remember what he said yesterday. Well, Canada's got a lot of nice people in it, and hopefully they'll, they'll, uh, That's their they'll main remember that they are nice. Yeah. All this the country that produces Paw Patrol can't be bad. Yeah. <laughs> what is Paw Patrol? Oh, it's a kid's show. Oh, it's I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> also produced by mother. So I, I'm a big fan of, uh, of uh, Canadians. Josh, thanks so much for being on The Trade Guys. This has been a fascinating discussion. Thanks for having me. To our listeners, if you have a question for the Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the Trade Guys react to it. We're also now on Spotify, so you can find us there when you're listening to the Rolling Stones or you're listening to Tom Petty or whatever you're listening to. You can definitely listen to the Trade Guys. Thank you, Trade Guys. Thank Thanks, you. Andrew. You've been listening to The Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.